0: The topic that's on my mind this morning is stewardship. Stewardship, if you look up the definition of the word steward in uh, Strong's, it says a domestic manager, a guardian, an overseer. Not a real helpful definition to me. Um, So I looked up a modern definition for stewardship. Stewardship. And it was, uh, it was more useful to me. So this is what I want you to think about this morning. Stewardship. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So if something has been entrusted into your care, stewardship is the careful and responsible management of that thing okay. it's a pretty straightforward definition a good biblical illustration of a faithful steward or stewardship would be Joseph if you look in Genesis chapter 39 Joseph had been sold into slavery right? about as low as you can get he was bought by a high figure who had wealth. His name was Potiphar. He was an officer of Pharaoh. He was a captain specifically of the guard. The Lord's with Joseph, and whatever <clears throat> he did, prospered. So he was put in this man's house, and the man, Potiphar, pretty quickly realized that this man was faithful in whatever he was doing and that things went well and so he put put him more under his care. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. Joseph served his master, his wrongful master. He had been sold by his brothers into this role, but This man was over him, and he served him. He served him faithfully. And Potiphar wound up making Joseph the overseer over his house. One of those synonyms for steward, overseer. The manager of the household. And all that he had, he put into his hand. So everything from all the dishes, all the furniture, all the livestock, to All the money and all the accounts and wherever it's at, it was all under Joseph's charge. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught that he had. He wasn't looking behind them at the records. He wasn't checking every day to see if it all came out. He was just trusting. In fact, it got so far out that he had no idea. He just knew the Lord's blessing, and that's, that was good. He had no idea what he had, save the bread that he did eat. So his you know, knowledge of his household consisted of, he sat down at the dinner table, what's on it? Oh, well, we got this. That's pretty nice. So he had a lot of confidence and trust, in the overseer of his stuff. Okay. And Joseph was a goodly and well-favored person. So Joseph carefully and responsibly managed everything that was entrusted into his care. At no time did it become Joseph's stuff. It was always his master's. At every point, he had to care for it in a way that the master would approve. Okay? If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 9, I'm going to establish something you already know. We're going to look at Scripture to make sure you know why it's so. The concept, i you to use preacher words, you could describe as divine ownership. Well, who's the divine? That's God, right? What does God own? Everything. That's real simple to say let's see where it teaches that in scripture Exodus 9 and 29 this is in the midst of God demonstrating his power by whooping up on Egypt and so there's some terrible storms going on and Pharaoh is calling Moses saying alright I've sinned the Lord's righteous I'm wicked ask him to stop it and I'll let you go alright mighty thunderings Some, some pretty bad thunderstorm right and Moses said, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail, that thou may knowest what that thou know? That thou may knowest how the earth is the Lord's. Boys, who's the earth belong to? God, God the Lord, right? So he was using this demonstration of his power. If I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this specific thing at this specific spot, so you will learn something that's already the truth. Him doing it didn't make it God's. It was already God's. He was just saying, "I'm going to show this point so you know that the earth is God's." All right? Go over to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Any lawyers in the room? One. Lawyers like to, you know, argue things. Well, there's just the Lord's. Well, how much of it? He doesn't specifically say, right? Well, you go to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, he said, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be my peculiar treasure unto me above all the people. For all the earth is mine. That's pretty broad language, right? All the earth. Okay. Lawyer says, yeah. What about above the earth? Go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter ten. Numbers and Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy ten and a verse fourteen. Deuteronomy 10 and 14. Behold, that's a nice way of saying, look here. Behold the heaven. That would be the blue sky you're looking at. And the heaven of heavens. You'll see that picture from the James Webb telescope and the satellite. It's pretty impressive. You're holding up a little grain of sand pointed at the sky. That's how much sky that picture is covering. It's got thousands of galaxies and untold stars. And that's how much of the heavens of heavens that you're looking at. Right? Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God. Yep. Everything in the universe. As far as you can go. All the galaxies, all the stars, all the comets. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also, with all that therein is. All that therein is. Okay, well, earth, generally that word there is is, uh, is firm. It's like land, right? Whoa. What about the sea? He didn't mention that yet. Go over to Job. Job 41. Job 41 and down in verse 11. Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Alright? So we've got the earth. We've got all that's on the earth. We've got the heaven. We've got the heavens of heavens. And then everything under heaven too. So you got your sea in there. Well, what, about, what about the people? Psalm 24. Psalm 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and they that dwell therein. So that earth there again is firm. The firmness of the ground, all the land, everything that's in it that grows out of it, the fullness thereof, the world, that's often translated globe, but literally the Hebrew word comes from moist, which means the inhabitable parts. All the inhabitable parts of the land, all the isles, everywhere, and they that dwell therein. All the people. why why is it his read the next verse for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods go to psalm 89 and verse 11 psalm 89 verse 11 the heavens are thine The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. God is the creator. There's a lot of literature over as long as mankind has been writing trying to answer the questions where did I come from why am I here and where am I going and without this you largely don't have a clue God reveals himself as the creator through nature at which point he says often they're willfully ignorant of that but where did you come from God created you. God is the creator. And all that He has created is His. This is fact. This is not debatable. Our lives, ourselves, everything that we have is His. Why do I go through all this whole list to draw out this? Is that there's no exceptions. You're not special. You don't somehow get to fall out of this everything in the whole universe category. You belong to God. He owns you as, his, as your creator. Thank you, sir. Okay, Boys and I have been enjoying watching Forged in Fire. All right? That's where these guys have to rush around like crazy trying to make blades super fast. Ridiculously amount of time. So, illustration. Patrick. As a bladesmith, if you go and you make that blade and you've got it all fixed up and it's ready, you've created it, can Zach come over here, take your blade and sell it? No. Why? Who's it belong to? You. You made it, right? We recognize that in our culture that if you create something, it's yours, and no one can come take it and sell it. We call that stealing, (laughs) right? Well, what if Zach says, Well, it's mine. I found it. Or it's free. Doesn't matter what he says, right? He's wrong. It belongs to you because you created it. Simple illustration. What if the knife starts talking and says, No, I'm Zach's. Doesn't matter. The knife's wrong. It's weird that you made a talking knife. but. Satan's in the knife. (laughs) the point being is... This is not something you can escape. This is not something you can deny. This is not something that is questionable. You belong to God. Everything belongs to God. Okay? Even your ability to work and to gain wealth. That belongs to God. Go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is a warning. The children of Israel have not come into the promised land yet. But he's already given them a warning. Moses who's not going to be able to go with them for his disobedience. He's given them a warning that there's going to come a time when you have enjoyed this land of plenty, you're rich, you're full, and you may be tempted to ignore the God that brought you there. So that's what he's saying in verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he's given thee. That's what you should do. Verse 11, beware that thou... Forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I have commanded thee this day. Lest, when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, that thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. All right, now jump down to verse 17 just for the sake of time. And I say in thy heart... This is what you're foolishly saying. My power and in the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember that the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Everything belongs to God. Everything in your life. Every aspect of you. Even your ability to work and have gain. All of your gifts and talents that you have. They came from Him. If you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, says, Who maketh thee to differ from one another? Are we all the same? No, absolutely not. Do we all have the same gifts and talents in life? No. If I had to put up sheetrock and uh, mud and tape every day for a living, I'd be skinnier. <laughs> I could do it, but I ain't good at it. Right? We don't have all have the same gifts or talents. But who made you to differ? Right, God... And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, the context of these people are glorying about their gifts and talents as if they hadn't been given to them. Well, you have to recognize that everything you have is given to you by God. And if they're given to you by God, who do they belong to? God, right? God owns it all. He is the creator, He is the owner. I work for Him. Okay? Well, that kind of leads us to that second question. Where did I come from? That's one. Why am I here? Why did He create me? What's my purpose? If I work for Him, I belong to Him. Everything I've got is His. What am I supposed to do? That's really where it kind of comes down to it. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, and in verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him. He's the creator. Those that are called by his name or the children of God here, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Why did God create you? Why are you here? Is it to accumulate a bunch of stuff and go to college and get the great career and have the 2.5 kids and the 401k and all the other things that we kind of look at. This is the American dream! Nope. He created you for His glory. I'll go a little farther in this chapter down to 21. It says, This people have I formed for myself. He's created you. He's created you for Him. They shall show forth my praise. Why are you created? You are created to glorify God. And you're created to praise Him. Praise and glory. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Now these two concepts are actually very closely linked. If you look over in Psalm 50... Psalm 50 and verse 23. Psalm 50 and 23. Whosoever offereth praise glorifieth me. You're to show forth his praise, created for his glory. When you're offering praise, you're glorifying him. Okay? kind of leads me to the question of okay, if I'm created to glorify him how how do I glorify him how can I glorify God well it says here I can praise him so that's that's one thing I can praise him it's one of the main reasons we're here why we come and pray and then have a song service, is because we are praising our God. Collectively. And where we're not here, we need to be doing it too. Alright? But there's another way that we glorify God. This is revealed in John 15, and in verse 8. It says, Herein is my Father glorified. That's... That's a pretty good intro if I'm asking how to glorify God. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Okay. Now this is figurative language, obviously. We're not saying we need to start sprouting apples on our arms, but we're to bear spiritual fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, right? Verse 16 in the same chapter says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Okay? You should bring forth fruit, and your fruit should remain. I have ordained you. He set you out for a purpose. He's created you and set a purpose for you to go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Okay. Talk more about that another day. If you need more insight into the spiritual fruit, go read Galatians chapter five. But you know that God also glorifies Himself through you? Kind of a weird concept, right? Sometimes we kind of get us focused, but God glorifies Himself through you, in you. What do I mean by that? I mean, go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23 says what if god willing to show his wrath god wanted to show his wrath his judgment and to make his power known he was going to is going to visibly demonstrate his wrath and might and power to do that he endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath Fitted to destruction. By rights for a single sin, every single one of us, immediately upon completion of that sin, is deserving of being blasted straight into hell. It's that big of a deal. Now, we know that for every single Child of God for whom Jesus died on that cross and finished. He's put away those sins. That price has already been paid. It was paid in the person of Jesus. He's born that already for his people. But God is also choosing not to immediately dispense that punishment upon every other individual when they immediately sin. That's why I'm saying he's being long-suffering. He's being patient. He is allowing the course of this world to go all the way until he says, time's up. It's when Christ comes back. When you have that last day, you have that final trump, you have the separation of God's, these are mine, these are not. And on that day, you've got these vessels, are described as vessels of wrath, these individuals who are fitted for destruction. They are ready. They are complete for destruction because of their sin. The other side of that coin is that and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory. So by demonstrating his wrath over here and judgment on the wicked, he's perfectly righteous to do so. By the same token, on you, on his child, every single one of his children throughout all history, he is demonstrating the riches, the immeasurable amount of his glory and mercy that he is showing to you. He gets to show off how good and merciful he is by what he's done for you. You didn't have a hand in it. You're just the beneficiary of it. Okay? Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. First three verses talked about when you were dead in sins and you were in that life. You look just like the world. You act like the world. You're pursuing the lust of the flesh. You were nasty and vile. But in verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, hath made us alive together with Christ, by grace are you saved, hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Why? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace, that undeserved favor, are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. That faith doesn't come from you. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Not of your works. Because if it was that case, you'd be bragging about yourself. Look what I've done. Woo-hoo! Not of works, lest any man should boast or brag. And so we are created. We are created his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God hath ordained that we should go and bear fruit and our fruit should remain. Good works. They're synonymous. Sometimes we think about spiritual fruit as just us kind of laying down sins and taking a a more spiritual attitude and being more patient and everything. Yeah, there's an internal aspect of that. But it's also manifested in what we're doing. Right? Faith without works is, is dead. You're not living out that love. Well, this is the living it out. There are internal changes as you're growing and being sanctified and you're becoming more like Christ but it's reflected in what you're doing and how you go about doing it. Okay, so we are created in we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2 So we're passive in one sense in terms of salvation. That's didn't have a hand in it. But after you're born again, you don't remain passive. You're not changing the end outcome, but you have spiritual life, and you are to be about things. You'd be about those good works. 2 Peter 9 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, elect, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It doesn't mean weird necessarily, it just means particular, special. He chose individually. Right? That, here's why, here's why, that ye show, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, As your creator, he is entitled to your praise. As your creator, you are to glorify him. As your creator, he owns you. However, on top of that, he's also your redeemer. And as your redeemer, he's bought you with the precious blood of his son. And you owe Him your praises of gratitude for how He's showing off His glory on a worthless sinner like me. To show forth the praises of Him that called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This is wonderful. This is not ho-hum-hunky-dory. This is not... uh, You'll ever go to a movie and you're like, man, that was really bad. That should have gone straight to VHS. <laughs> I don't even know what VHS is, right? A movie so bad that went straight to DVD. Just never went to theaters. So why is he talking about that? Sometimes when we come to church, we act like this is a straight to VHS, you know, kind of experience. This is not. This is way above marvelous of what is being described, what we're here for. This is not ho hum or hunky dory, right? This is If we're really following after the Lord as hard as we need to be, if we're thinking about what He's done for us and the magnitude of how good He is, y'all, church should be the absolute highlight of your week. There should be nothing better. There should be everything about, I'm I'm ready to get there. (coughs) Why? Because I need to praise Him. Because look at all these things that He's done now and in the big picture. And I'm looking forward to him and I want to know more about him. I want to know more about this love that he has for me. Right? Nothing else should outrank that. If it does, that's the idol in your life right now. An idol is anything you put in God's spot. And his spot has to be number one. And guess what, guys? He's worthy of being number one. There's nobody who can compete with that. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 6 lays it out very plainly that you are not your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's start in verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And you can look at the, the context of this if it's um, talking about fornication and going into a harlot and how the, the unity there is, is very similar to the unity in marriage and you become one and it's not something to be light or taken uh, anything other than very serious. He says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. There is a unity with your Lord. You're born again. You've got the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. You're one with Him and therefore flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth that is without the body... But he that committeth sin sinneth against his own body. Sometimes you will hear in our culture, well, there's there's no foul there. It didn't hurt anybody. If anything, they're just hurting themselves. That doesn't mean it's not sin. Sinning against your own body is still sin against God because your body's not yours. Verse 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, he's given it to you, and ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Every aspect of you belongs to God. And how you use it should glorify and praise God. It's saying you're like a temple. Jesus got very upset when folks were misusing his father's house, right? They had to turn turned it into a money exchange station over here. Oh, you're going to donate to the church, but you don't want to give all that? Here, come over here. I'll swap out your coins and you can, you know, whatever. Um, oh, you need a sacrifice here? You need an ox? I got one in the stall right here in the, the middle of the temple. That's, that's a mess. At least the doves are smaller, but I mean, probably had a lot more of them. And Jesus was very upset by this misuse of the temple. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. Well, if your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, how are you defiling that temple? Is it like you've got, you know, imagine your Greek temple and you've got it just spray painted and you've got all manner of filth going on inside there. Anybody be pleased with that? Man, the historic society be up in arms. But we're the temple; our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're not our own; we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right. And if just for I mentioned it earlier about what are you purchased with? Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight. 20 and 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Paul is um, saying this unto the church at Ephesus, the leaders who'd come to meet him. He didn't have time to stop in the city. He was on his way to Jerusalem and he's basically saying goodbye. He knows he's never going to see him again in person. So he's given this charge. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God this is all very good. Not necessarily relevant to what we're talking about here, but this last clause. To feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. You were bought. Something God already owned. He redeemed from death and hell, by the blood of His Son. This is no small thing. This is that marvelous light coming into that light had a very, very high price. I belong to God. I belong to Him as His creation. He's my creator. I belong to Him because He has purchased me. Purchased me with his own blood. I am created here. You are created here for his glory and for his praise. Not only did he create me naturally, he actually created me again in the new birth. So that was created a new creature in Christ Jesus, which he hath ordained me unto good works. And to go forth and bear much Fruit. Much fruit. I, you, we must be dedicated, centered around, focused on praising and glorifying God. Said the same thing three different ways, but it's okay. You need to be dedicated to praising and glorifying God. You need to be centering your life around praising and glorifying God. You need to be focused on praising and glorifying God. As your creator? Yes. As your redeemer? Yes. How about as your father? He adopted you into his family. Are you worthy to be in the king's family? Short answer, nope. Nope. Imagine if the Queen of England says, "Hey, would you like to fill out some applications to be my child?" There's some really great benefits, right? They got their stipends here every year, and then they've got their lands that they're, you know, they pass down to. Gener- you think, man, that'd, that'd be pretty neat. But that just pales in comparison. Because what would happen when she took your application? She's like, "No, <laughs> look at this guy." But God knew everything. I mean, the things that don't show up on the background check. He knew everything, all the way down to your worst thought on your vilest day. And the day you mistreated somebody the worst when they didn't deserve it. All the things down to that. And he put his love upon you anyway. And died for you when you were yet his enemy and a sinner. And cleaned you up to bring you into his family. And you've got this inheritance that way outranks all the crown jewels that they can put together over there in Buckingham Palace. All the land that doesn't even compare. So is he worthy of your praise and glory? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, if my topic is stewardship, why have we been talking about ownership? What was the definition of stewardship? The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. All right. In a stewardship relationship, somebody has to be the owner. Somebody has to be the steward. And so what we spend our time this morning is clarifying who's the owner. Is it you? No. Well, that's obvious. Okay. Need to be reminded. Because often we don't act like it. Often we don't act like it. All right? The careful and responsible management of something entrusted into God's care. So, into one's care. So, what has God entrusted into my care? Well, let's start close to home with myself. He has trusted yourself. What does that include? That includes your physical body. That includes your mind. That includes your spirit. That includes your time, your attention, slash focus, slash effort, however you want to categorize that, your strength. Your love, your affection, all your earthly possessions, and all the increases that come from my labors. Y'all can think of anything I left out. I was trying to get it all. But everything about us, everything, Sometimes we think of stewardship and we just kind of limit it to just money. That's one aspect of it. But he's really entrusted you with much more. What else? What else has God put in your responsibility and care? If you're married, spouse. Start with spouse. Both spouses... Are responsible and caring for the other. Now that they're different authorities, yes. But each spouse has a responsibility for the other and care for the other as something you're entrusted with, including their physical body, their time, their attention, all those things that you have influence on and care for. Same thing with children. Who do they belong to? God. They don't belong to me. They don't believe... Regardless of how how loud they may say it, they don't belong to themselves. Right? Husbands and fathers and leaders, we have to teach that. Right? You may be wanting to do this thing, but this does not glorify and honor God, and therefore we will not do it. Spouse or children. Drawing those lines. Now my voice is held up. I won't push it. But I'm going to leave you with an illustration. And we're going to continue this next Sunday, Lord willing. Here's your illustration. Let's imagine in this scenario, you're the owner. You have something... Well, let's say I don't know half a million dollars. You've got half a million dollars. It's just come into you. You don't really know what to do, so you hire a wealth investor. You say, "Here, manage this money for me." Okay. Wealth investor says, "Okay," and you find out he takes that money. He goes and buys himself a vacation home, and a jet ski, and a boat, and he's there every weekend. You follow up. You say, "What you doing?" He like, "Well, you know, when I sell it, you'll get you'll get some of the extra money, and then and then you'll be better off." Okay. And then later, he sells it, and he goes to Vegas, and he blows it on shows, and food, and drinking, and drugs, and fornication, and whatever else you do in Vegas because it's not a good place. How would you, as the owner, be thinking about the care and management of your funds by that wealth investor? Would you be pleased? Did he further your interests? Or did he act like the stuff that he put you put into his care was his own to use and blow? waste in any old way. Thank y'all for your time and attention.